You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. I want to welcome you this morning. Thank you so much for coming and just um, singing songs to the Lord and worshiping the Lord um, and enjoying one another because of what Jesus has done. Um, if you do not know me, my name is Raphael, and I'm privileged to be one of the pastors here. Um, and and I want to say thank you so much for your guest with us today. Thank you for coming, and uh, we pray that God will meet you where you are and. Um, that his grace will collide with your heart today above everything. So, um, yeah, so uh, before we go forward, before we go forward, I just want to make sure that, like, I give uh, honor and praise to the Lord for what he has done uh, in our midst. One, one of the most encouraging things that has happened, that happened this week, um, some of you guys don't know, uh, if you know, we have a Deacon Nate Tucker um, he's at the back over there. Um, he's probably, <laughs> he's wearing a black shirt, so he's now trying to blend in with the curtains back there. But, um, but you know, just like this week, like I always look around and just want to see where God is actually moving in our church. And, uh, and this week I kind of just like was stopped and I just found myself praising God for what he has done. Uh, because there was a time when, um, when Nate, uh, just some years back when uh, I remember Lauren just praying and saying, God, I just want to see something amazing happen uh, in my husband's life. I know God's hand is on on him, and so, um, so fast forward a, a couple of years later, uh, here we are. He started his first year, uh, first semester at se- in seminary this week. Um, just, but just getting to see that gap for me is just looking at where he was and seeing how far God has brought him. Um, and and for me, what an honor it is to to see that like just to be involved in that way. At one point, I'm baptizing him, and the next point, I'm watching God really writing his story. Um, so, And then also, another one uh, that we have, uh, if you guys don't know, Trevor, Trevor Rout, Trevor and Kelsey, they're this beautiful couple that's sitting over here. Uh, can you just wave, give like a royal wave, wave there? Uh, good. They just got engaged yesterday, so yeah. I thought, like, we were praying so hard, just saying that, God, what is taking forever? And I just felt like, I was like, I felt like Jesus, who intercedes for us, he was about to get off his throne and just come slap him on the face and say, boy, what are you waiting for? Like, what's going on? So, yeah, I think he heard. uh, So that was uh, just something else to celebrate as well. So um, uh, I could go on, but, like, just... uh, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, if you have your Bible, would you open with me to Exodus chapter 30, 33, uh, verse 18. I'm going to read that first verse here. Um, and then because everything hinges on this verse, um, verse 18, Moses said, please, Lord, let me see your glory. He says, please, Lord, let me see your glory. 
Um, and if, you, if, if, if you've ever watched, uh, one of my favorite movies is um, The Hobbit, uh, where they are going to the mountain, and they're going to the mountain, they're going to go rescue, they, um, where, for example, one of the hobbits like, uh, who, has, who has a claim to the royal throne, uh, he wants just only one thing, they call it the Arkenstone, because that one rock is actually what's gonna actually reinstate him as king, and he is now able to actually call all the other tribes so that they can actually gather together. So in the midst of everything, in the rubble, like, I'm talking about they walk into a cave and you cannot see the treasure. You see the treasure is everywhere in that, uh, in that cave. But he is not impressed with all the other treasure that is there because he's looking for that one stone. That one stone, this one stone that is actually the, it is this, it's this damn one that has all the facets. It's just beautiful, glorious to behold. And he wants just that one stone. And he was not going to rest. He's not satisfied with everything else that is in the cave. And I think this is actually what we see in this text today. We see Moses actually getting to hear from God the promises where God, at the beginning of Exodus chapter 33, God says to Moses, I I am going to give you all that you need. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to send an angel to fight on your behalf, but I'm not going to go with you. God promises to give them everything. And Moses says, no, God, but you are what I actually truly need. You are actually what I truly need, not only just to, 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 for us to go forward, uh, but I got, we need you, God, to be with us because we are your people. So Moses begins to intercede, even though the people have broken covenant, Moses begins to intercede for God to go with them. And so we see him actually, and when God actually says, Moses, I'm going to go with you, I'm going to help you, and Moses says, but no, I want you to go with us, I want you to go with us, he seeds again and through from chapter 33 all the way to 34 9 uh, Moses makes request over and over God we are nothing without you we want you to go with us and so here we see God actually finally uh, in chapter 33, God saying, uh, 33 all the way to verse 17, God saying, what you have asked, I'm going to give it to you. I am going to go with you. And then Moses, as if like that's enough, Moses actually makes one final step. Because Moses realizes that there is one final step that he has to, one thing that he has to ask for. God has walked with him all this time. God has done wonders all around. And Moses realizes that like, God, I want to know you more. Because I want the assurance of knowing that. And in verse 9, he says, I know that like there's one thing that's not going to change. We are still a stiff-necked people. I know there's going to be rough waters ahead where these people are still going to be unfaithful to you. And what is necessary for assurance in my heart, what is necessary for us to actually move forward is not only just what you can do for us, it's for us to know who you are. 
And I'm, I'm here to pause the problem for us even as believers. One of the biggest things is that I, I just, one of the things that you get to see over and over is, is the fact that like we sometimes can actually get, we can settle for already what we know about God, but yet there is still more to know about God. I just want you to go with me for a minute. There is no one who has seen the glory of God more than Moses has. Like, let's just kind of rewind back. The, the, the burning bush. Like, oh, first of all, like you're the only one who has survived out of many boys that have been killed. There is the glory of God. And then let's go to the burning bush where he sees and he hears God speak to him. Let's go to the plagues where he sees God do all these plagues that happen. Let's go to the Red Sea where he stands and he sees God open the seas and open everything and they walk across. Let's go to the pillar. Let's go to the cloud. The cloud by day. Let's go to the pillar of fire by night. Let's go to the quail. Let's go to the manna. He has seen all those things. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19 where the mountain is rumbling and it's thundering and he is up there. And let's go to chapter 24 where he's sitting with his 70 elders and he's seeing the glory of God. What is Moses asking for here? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. Because Moses has seen the glory of God. Moses now is actually saying, God, I have seen you and I know what you can do, but I'm, never, I'm not satisfied with what you can do. I know you are sovereign. You are powerful. You can move mountains. You can move seas. You can make bread show up in the middle of nowhere. You can make a Chick-fil-A show up in the midst of a desert. But God, I know that like we've got all that. But God, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to know you. And I pray that is actually what becomes of you and me. Right? That becomes of you and me. So this is the central idea of the passage is, here, is that after Moses, after Israel breaks covenant, uh, Moses intercedes for them and God graciously forgives their sins and he renews his covenant with them. And now Moses asks, God, would you reveal yourself to me? And from there onwards, they now begin. That's actually now where they begin to build the tabernacle and they enjoy God's presence. And we're going to see that here in a few weeks. And so, if you can walk away with one thing, this is what I want to press into our hearts. And it's this, we, this is what we see in this scripture, that knowing God leads to greater assurance. That what you and me need more is probably not one more miracle, not one more experience. We need to know God himself. Right. And so my prayer is that our chief preoccupation and our chief quest in life would become this one thing. I want to know you. And we see that. Moses says, show me your glory. When John is in a crisis, he says, sends people and says, are you the Christ? He wants to know Christ more. When Paul is in a prison in Philippians and he's now done everything and he still says that I still have one more quest 
This is my only quest in, in Philippians 3. Like the first thing that you see in Acts chapter 9 and chapter 23 when he's telling his testimony, he says, who are you, Lord? And when now Paul is about to die and he's in a jail cell, he says, I only have one thing. He says, everything is counted as loss. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. This is, this is the only thing I press on. I want to know him. And then so you're getting to see Moses. You're getting to see Paul. All they wanted to do was to know God. And I pray that would become the essence of Christianity is you pressing on to know God. And that's what even Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all will be added to you. Amen. Seek first his face. And his hands are going to come with that. That's actually what Moses was like. God, I know what your hand can do, but show me your face. I want to know you. And so here we see Moses taking advantage of God's grace here and saying, and, and so what we see here is God's grace fuels knowing God more. And where Moses says, show me your glory. And that word glory there is weight, kavod, it means heaviness, right? And we don't know what that, what, what that looks like today because it, it, it's kind of strange to define weight with, with, with glory. But, but, but I want you to kind of just like look through their, their context because usually then the, the ancient coins, they, they used to be determined, their value was according to their weight, Right? Today we have a nickel that is heavier than the dime, but the dime is actually more valuable. And so we don't know what that, what, what, what that description is like, but this is actually what it means. Glory meant value. Something that had more weight than the other is actually what, what here, what Moses is saying. is saying, God, throw around your weight. Let me see who you are. And he's saying, God, because you've been gracious with us, can I get to know you more? Can I get to, he's asking for an intimate encounter. And, and part of that is because he desires reassurance that God will not abandon them because they're still stiff-necked people. That God will truly dwell amongst them without judgment and God actually answers this prayer, this prayer of Moses in verse 19. And he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, me, from front of you. And that word goodness there is speaking of God's benefits, his wonderful benefits. He says, I will cause and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And that's actually where Moses says, show me your glory. God says, what you need. Here, what you actually, if you were to kind of take it and put it in the same plane here, Moses asked for the glory of God. God, so glory is equals to goodness, is equals to his name. Right? That's what God here does. He's saying that, that like, I, I, what you need is to know me, right? 
And then God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So when Moses says, I want to see your glory, God says, I will do better than to show you my glory as you have seen it. I will show you my wonderful benefits. And here we get to see God actually saying this. And when he's saying, I will be gracious to with whom I will be gracious, here he's saying, if I have chosen, this is a paraphrase, if I have chosen someone that is Israel, right, for, for favor, for grace, um, well, what it means is that you can believe that I will do what I say I'm going to do. And, and if I have chosen someone to, to, to focus on and give my compassion, that's what I will definitely do for them. And But God says this, I'm going to do this for you in a way that's going to protect you. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and leave. And so the question there is that like what did, earlier on it says that God related to Moses face to face. If you translate it in the Hebrew, it says that actually, it's actually mouth to mouth. It wasn't God literally showing his face. It was actually a, a figure of speech that's saying God is relating to Moses directly. He's talking. There's no, they, they, they're having a conversation. And the Lord said, here is a place near me. I'm going to hide you here. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you on the crevice of the rock and I will cover you until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. So God will shield Moses. Uh, Moses is not sufficiently holy, right? He can, even though he has been called to ascend this hill, right? The hill of the Lord. He doesn't have pure hands and a pure heart and a clean heart, right? And that's actually what we're going to see Jesus is going to be able to do that. He's going to be able to do that. But here, um, God's showing him his back. Uh, is, 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 it means this. He's showing him and he's giving him a full experience of who he is. But yet at the same time, it's a limited, but it's a real encounter with the living God. Right? Because if he sees who he is, he is going to die right there. And so my prayer for us is that we would be those people that say, God, I want to know you. While I'm here on earth, you've saved me. You've changed me. So the question I have is that are you satisfied with what you know about God already? You know, for some of us, our Christianity is like buying shoes. When we buy our shoes now, because we're grown um, for some of us that are grown, we usually go, you, it's already settled that you're a size 8 or you're a 10 and a half or you're 11. That's just it. So you go and you buy your shoes, right? You, you, you buy your shoes because they fit, right? And But when you buy shoes for someone who's growing, when you buy shoes for someone who's growing, every time I buy my son's shoes, and I know he needs size one right now, but I will go and buy him size three. <laughs> and what's the reason? Because he's growing. And I think that, experience, that, that is actually what an explanation of what a Christian's heart needs to be like. 
religion is like that tightly fitting, nice, snuggle shoe. Intimacy with God is when you say, I have not figured you out yet. Because religion says there's this package well experienced with God. This is what God is like. And then all of a sudden, there's no more, no less. And it just gives you, and then a lot of us have settled that way. It can be very easy to settle into a religious, into a religion cycle where we have a box and then all of a sudden, God can't get out of that box. But what our Christianity needs to be like is that yes, there are things that we say are close-handed, who God is, what he has revealed himself, that is actually like what he's revealed himself, and that is stored in what we call the creeds, the, 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 the words, like the creeds, for example, or, 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 or like these documents that like, or the catechisms, things that have defined like, okay, this is what the pyramid, the guardrails of traveling within this road, but yet, but yet, your heart still says, even though I know God is holy, I still need to dig a little bit deeper into his holiness. I know God is gracious. I need to know his grace even more. I know God is this. So you know that. You're already, but you still need to know more. And so my prayer is that you have not settled, but that you will keep on being like the saints of old, like Paul, who would say, I still want to know more. I still want to know more. And God, before he reveals himself to Moses here, I'm not going to camp so much into this because what he is doing that you see here that God's grace fuels uh, renewal of the covenant uh, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1 to 5, you see, and it says, um, and here what you begin to see is God preparing um, Moses is about to leave the tent. The, remember the scene here is that Moses is in this little tent and God is saying, I'm going to put you on the mountain and the people are outside and they're kneeling down, they're repenting, they've taken off their, their jewelry and all that stuff and they're waiting. What is God going to say? What is God going to say? Is he still going to go with us? Because without him we're nothing and this is what's needed for that. This is what's needed for that. And in fact, what's so interesting is that Moses is about to go up the mountain again for another 40 days and 40 nights. They are about to enter into the same temptation and they are about to actually be tested whether they're going to be faithful to the covenant this time or not. Right? So, what is he going to give the people? This is what God gives them. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. And God here is saying, I am about to renew my covenant with them again. This is going to be joyous for the people outside who are saying, without God, we are nothing. Right? Be prepared by the morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. 
No one may go with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain, even the flocks and the herd that they're not to graze in front of the mountain. If you're reading this, everything is literally almost a replica of Exodus chapter 19 when he's going up there to go get his Ten Commandments. This is exactly what's happening, Exodus 19, 12 to 13. And then at the same time, we still see the same cloud that we see in Exodus chapter 19, 18. Moses cuts two tablets of stones and, and he got up early in the morning. He took two stone tablets and in his hands and he climbed, climbed Mount Sinai, right? And just as the Lord had commanded him and the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And so we see God here. And this is actually what, what the people now need. And they realize when God says, I will be gracious with whom I will be gracious. When they are asking, what did God say in there, Moses? God said he was going to be gracious with you. And so therefore, his grace becomes the fuel to covenant renewal. And the people are left there and saying, wow, we've experienced the richness of his grace. We, 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 we've experienced. And, and what's happening there? What's happening there? And, and here, I just want to maybe apply it in this way, and, and it's not going to be up there, but like, if you are a Christian and you're resting and you're saying, I, I want to know God more. I want to experience his new mercies again, like Lamentation says. I want to experience him more and more, but like, I am aware of my sins more, and then at the same time, but like, I'm aware of my sins, and I want to press in into him. Focus on his grace. Focus on what he has done. He has lavished his grace on you. Focus and maybe that's the time when you need to go and do what I call gospel, multiple exposures to God's grace. Right. You know, my kids usually play this game called, like, and, and this, this game, uh, we introduce them to, to, to it when we're actually doing soccer and we're trying to kind of just like do some agility training where, where they're, they're learning not to tag each other and we call it COVID-19. COVID-19 where basically we're saying you should not get infected. If you're infected, you're down. And so you watch them literally like, it's tag with style, right? And then so you're watching them running, making sure that they're not getting tagged, but you're watching these other kids that just want to get tagged, want to get tagged. So they run up and they say, tag me, tag me, because they want to be eat, right? They want to be eat. What you and I need is probably to be running and saying, tag me with your grace. Tag me with your grace, God. Tag me. And what, what does that look like? It looks like you taking yourself and going and maybe drenching yourself and drenching yourself in Romans 8. And then and drenching yourself in Romans. And if God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give every, all these things to me? And you drench yourself. If God, if he has cleared me in front of Jesus, who is there to condemn me? There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a time for you to drench yourself in Ephesians too. But you were dead in your sin. And you're saying, God, I look and I see the deadness of my 
my sin. You were dead in your sin and your trespasses. God, I look and I see that every step of my life is a march towards, uh, I'm marching alongside the prince of the air. Satan is commanding me. But you know what? But the God who is rich in mercy, God, I am laying a hold. I'm holding by grace I am saved. And if you can focus on his grace, Titus 2.11 says, the grace of God has appeared. And you know what that does? We now need to enroll in the school of grace and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That if you find yourself saying yes more to your sin than to Jesus, what you need is to enter into a school of grace where you have multiple exposures to the grace of God and you know who He is, what He has done, all of a sudden it transforms who you are and whose you are and all of a sudden you'll find yourself. Sin loses its grip where God has proclaimed your freedom. Right? That's, that's, that's what at least, like, and, and, and this, is what, that, that this is what we see here. There's covenant renewal because of grace. So Moses leaves a praise party at the bottom of the mountain to go up. And when he goes up, the people are going to rejoice because now. They, and, and, and that's actually what sparks like. If you were to read when they start building tabernacle and Moses has to stop them from giving offering and all that. Because they're just so grateful. God has brought his presence back. But here... This is what I want us to camp in. The last point here, um, God help me, because this is like where the weight is at here. God's grace fuels his revelation, right? So God comes down, and what he does is that he proclaims. And he says he proclaimed, if you look at verse, verse six, it says he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And then here it says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, right? So I want you to see something that's going on here. God, and what you see first of all is that he comes and proclaims his name, the Lord. And the second Lord there is now where he begins to define his name to him. This is who I am. But this is actually what the definition of my name is. And Moses, you can bank on that. This is who I am. And what we're about to read here, as you're going to see even later, is becomes the anthem of the whole Old Testament. The national anthem of when they start singing about who God is, they sing this. Because it was sung by God first. We hear God preaching here, preaching his name, right? And here, the repeating of his name, it's almost God says, I am your, I am your dear Yahweh, Moses. This is who I am. His name has everything to do with his being. And for some of us, this might be so foreign to, um, but like, I just like, um, one of the greatest things I treasure about being, being a Zulu man and then Debele man um, uh, is, is how every single night when my, after we had food, 
you know, our thank you to my dad would be going to him and start proclaiming his names. So he's Mr. Mkandla. And but just to show how thankful we would be, is that like we would mention his first, his last name, and his last name had all these attributes that came with it. All these descriptions. So I would say Mkandla, Malinga, Ekavo, Enaisan, Mjiba, and all those things every night. And why? Because that was the only way you would show how grateful you are he has provided the meal you ate. And that's just like on a daily basis. And the name, his, the, the, the last name, and my grandfather would say the same things to him. And literally it goes, even start describing the conquest. We are a family of warriors. We defeated this, and we did this, we did this. And this is what used to happen with Greek warriors, by the way. They would employ like the poet who would travel, and right before he goes and fights, the poet would come and say, behold, so and so. This is his name, and then we'll start describing his character, starting from head to toe, and describing all his conquests and all that. God does that here. And he says, you can bank on that. And God says, here, I am. And God now is revealing what he just revealed in Exodus chapter 3, 14, when he says, I am who I am. And that word, I am who I am, is, is basically, he says this, it can be translated, it's a verb to, in, 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 in Hebrew, it's a verb to be, meaning that he says, I cause to be. I'm the one who's the creator and the sustainer of everything that exists. And not only that, I have always been who I've always been. And not only that, I am who I am. Um, and it's like also, I will be who I will be. And what God is saying there, he is saying, I am self-existent, I'm self-sustaining, I'm sovereign, but at the same time, I am consistent. My name, like if I set my heart on you, and I say I'm going to give you grace, that's what I'm going to do. And so Moses is wedged within a rock, and God comes in, and he begins to proclaim his name. I am a God who is gracious. And that word there, when he says, and I want you to see here, he says to him, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. So I want to just kind of walk you through some of these things and, and, and God help me to get through this because this is actually like, this is the anthem of the Old Testament. When God looks at him and says, Moses, I am a compassionate and gracious God. And that word compassionate means like it's, it's a, it speaks of a God level emotional reaction of sympathy and tender-hearted mercy, right? It's, it's, in fact, that's where God literally says that Moses, I, I, I respond. Like it's, it's like what we usually use as a gut reaction. When I respond, I respond from right here. 
right? Like that's the word womb or God's, right? And, and this is what God is actually saying. This is who I am. I, Moses, listen, I am deeply, I have a tender-hearted disposition towards you as a people. And we see that. When like, next time you read the gospel, the gospels, and you read the book of Luke, for example, it always prefaces, and Jesus stopped, and he looked, and he had compassion for him. It speaks of the fact that when Jesus, this is what God says, when he sets his eyes on us, there's this burst of love on the inside. That is exactly what Jesus, when he's looking, and he's seeing, for example, when he's seeing this woman who has been suffering for years and years, and she's about, he's about to heal her. It says he had compassion. When he stops that funeral, when literally like this widow, this widow, who's weeping because her only son is dead and Jesus says he had compassion. He stops and he looks and he has compassion on her and he heals all that. That's actually God become flesh having that like love where every time he looks at us though our sins are many his mercy is more. He has this burst of compassion towards you and me because of his grace. Right, that's what God proclaims. Here, what we're listening is God proclaiming his own heart and saying, don't, don't ever forget that. Right. Gracious. And this speaks of God's desire for mercy and help and forgiveness for those that have sinned greatly. And in fact, this is actually the basis of Psalm 51.3 when Moses has committed adultery and he has killed and he has done the unthinkable sin. He goes on the basis, be gracious to me, God. And he is literally going back. When he's saying that, Moses is actually looking back. Moses uses Exodus chapter 34 as the basis by which he goes before God. Right? Because God has this disposition to deal favorably and, to, and listen to our cries for help and forgiveness. Right? And, the, and I love my favorite one is this one, slow to anger. Like if you can underline that, the Hebrew says he is, it, it speaks of him having a long nose. This is like after Pinocchio has lied a whole lot, right? But like the longest, that just speaks of like, where it's, that's, that's like, so it's like you stop and you chuckle and you're like, what do you mean, God, you've got a long nose? And it means slow to anger. It means that God has the longest fuse instead of having a short fuse. And that's why like now, every single week, every single day, we wake up and we say, search me, oh God, Psalm 139. Because listen, that's why you and I cannot be, we shouldn't be comfortable in our sins. Because like, they, 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 there are some Christians that are like, well, God hasn't, say, God hasn't striked me yet. So therefore, it means that like, uh, is it, he maybe approves of my sin. No, he's being true to who he is. But at the same time, and you're going to see in verse 7, he says, but I'm the God who doesn't put a stamp to your sins and give you amnesty because I'm, I'm gracious. 
It means that like maybe your sins are still slowly moving through the tunnel of his nose and they haven't gotten to where literally like, it, it's like when I cook with, with, with black pepper, like it's just like right immediately because I've got a short nose, I sneeze right away, right? It means God hasn't, hasn't yet reacted yet because he is actually being gracious with you. What does this mean for the people down there? They get to realize, wow. When we look back, man, like we complained as soon as we, as soon as, we complained before, right when you had shown all the plagues and all that stuff, and we were standing and there was a sea, there was an army behind us, we complained and we said, we, we need to go back. Why did you take us? And then when we crossed and we entered into the desert, we complained because most, we didn't have water, we didn't have, we didn't have food, and God made water show up from a rock, and God gave, but we still complained anyway, and you, if you just keep reading the story. It's like, God, you know what? I'm so glad I'm not God, right? Like there's some, some parts where you're like, yeah, if it was me, I'd have smoked you long ago. <laughs> Especially if I had the power, like if, I, if I've got the power, like I, I, I don't think I would have been that merciful. But God here says, Moses, tell my people, this is who I am. Slow to anger. But, but there's also something even more. Look at this. Abounding. Abounding in steadfast love. You know what steadfast stands for? There. It's, this is where, it's, it's where we get the word chesed. A loyal love. A loyal love that is not affected by, that is not affected by how you have sinned. A loyal love, it's like that immovable wall, right? It's like the Dallas Cowboys defense. <laughs> I've got the mic, so just hold it. <laughs> Please don't get distracted by what I just said. Let's focus on the text. <laughs> But God here is saying he is rich in grace and faithfulness. That he remains loyal and faithful even when he knows that they are going to break the covenant over and over and over. That's the whole basis. This passage here is the whole basis of the book of Hosea. Where he still says, my, 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 my people are like Goma who goes back and forth, back and forth. Read the book of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and begins to describe and where he's saying, my people are like that over and over. But this is who I am. In fact, I would actually even stand to say boldly that the rest of the Bible is an exposition to just these verses, period. I would say that 
But God demonstrates His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5. While we were weak, while we were enemies, literally, we didn't want to be saved. We were shaking our fists. We were weak in our sins, but we were too proud to even call upon Him. He demonstrated His love, came, hung on the cross on behalf of you and me. What was He doing? He was fulfilling that He was the God who's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich and abounding in steadfast love. That's what he was doing. He was fulfilling. He was saying, from beginning to end, my name remains the same. This is what even the writer of Hebrews is even meditating on, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So therefore, therefore, that is the greatest comfort for you and me as believers. Amen? Right. This is actually like where sin abounds, Romans 8, Romans 8 and Romans 7. Where sin abounds, His grace abounds even more. Right. Maintaining grace. This is now so cool. Maintaining grace to thousands. For thousands. This loyal love, this loving kindness, this goodness. Right. And this is where God is, and he's saying that I maintain this for generations. So meaning that my grace is inexhaustible. And forgiven iniquity, transgressions, and sin. And so I, I want you to see if you could probably underline those words. That just basically like talks about sin at every level. To forgive means to cover, Right? means to cover, um, to cover our sins, to carry away our sins. That's what Christ comes and does. And to behold the Lamb of, the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the word for give, right? And it is used here like in just these terms that describe sin, iniquity, right? And not only that, transgression and sin, the different degrees of just saying that it's not only, that's why sin is not only just missing the mark. That's just one level of it. But it's also a twistedness. That's what actually the word there, when you're now going into transgression and sin, it speaks of like the twistedness of our nature because of sin. In the day you eat that fruit, you shall surely die. The effects of sin. But here God points to the fact that he forgives all manner of immorality, disobedience, indiscretion, rebellion, even. And here what he's saying is that there are no degrees or types of sin that are beyond Yahweh's powerful willingness to forgive. Amen? Right. He says he forgives sins of every kind and every shape here. And here... But yet at the end, he's going to put, a lot of people usually focus on this. But God says this, maintaining a faithful love to generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the fathers and the iniquities of the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. What God is saying here is giving, he's refusing to grant a blanket amnesty to, to sin willfully. Here he is giving them a warning and he's saying to them, listen, I give you love that goes to thousands of generations, but yet at the same time, don't impose on that grace. And so here, 
what we get to see is God saying that the, un the unrepented person cannot escape punishment, like, right, because they remain unforgiven. But yet at the same time here, it means that, like, it, doesn't, it, it means this, that, like, God will forgive. It doesn't mean that those that are third and fourth generation, if they've repented, he will not forgive them. Read the book of Kings. And even Ezekiel kind of, the book of Kings, where there's one king who is totally wicked and his son totally turns everything around and he forgives him, right? So here, the fact that punishment extends for generations does not mean God will not continue to punish members of the subsequent generations, even if they turn from um, their, their, the evil of their fathers. And especially Ezekiel 18 is so helpful towards that. But this is the practice for us now to remember. That when we hear the name of the Lord, we have to now remember all the things. So in the name of God, when scripture says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run to it and they are safe, this is what it means says, under his name, you're actually resting underneath everything that, everything, who he is. And look at the response in verse 8. Moses immediately knelt to the ground and worshipped. Immediately. And when God reveals his name here, what's interesting is that God and Moses just bows, and when he bows, and, and I love this because God doesn't say, when he proclaims his name, God doesn't say, now worship me. What happens is an automatic response there, an automatic response of seeing who God is and knowing who God is, is we can't get low enough, right? He simply flashes his name and his being before Moses and then Moses is caught in this awe and inspiring like of who God is and he just bows down, right? He gets to see who he is, right? He begins to surrender to God in adoration and surrender and says, God, here I am, I'm yours. And God's name is so beautiful and awe-inspiring and he finds himself just bowing before him. And we see this becoming the national anthem of the Israelites' people. Psalm 86, 15, but you, Lord, are gracious, uh, are compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, forget not his, his benefits. What are his benefits? One of them is his name. The Lord is compassionate, verse 8, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. Psalm 145, that talks about generation proclaiming to another generation. What's important? The Lord is gracious and is compassionate, slow to anger, and great in faithful love. What, what is the Israelite community doing there? They're going back and they're saying, what we need to remember the most is who God is, not just what he does, right? Joel 2, 
when literally like the people are just so comfortable and they are going and, they, and God is actually sending his prophet and the locust has come, the locusts have come and they've eaten everything and God is saying, if you don't repent, I'm gonna judge your sin and what, God, what, what literally is proclaimed to them, Joel 2.13, tear your hearts and, and not just your clothes. Don't only repent on the outside. Tear your hearts, not just return to the Lord your God. For he, what was the basis for that? For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from the sending disaster, right? If you read the book of Jonah, after Jonah has finally like, when Jonah is, he is, he is now in the belly of the whale, he actually calls on God for that. And when he is now praying and, and he says, it, he prayed to the Lord, please Lord, isn't this when God is now granted repentance to the ones that have done the most unthinkable, the ones that would take the Israelites people and cut their heads and put them on spikes and, and take them and drag them, uh, and drag them until they've lost their skin and, 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 and leave them out in the sun to rot and dry. And God is preaching the gospel to them to forgive them. He, and this is, what, this is what actually Jonah has against God. He says, God, like he prayed, isn't this what I said while I was still on my own country? That's why I fled to Tashish and in the place, in the first place. I knew that you were gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and the one who relents in sending disaster. And Nehemiah, when he sees the broken walls and all that stuff, he cries out to God. They he says to him, they refuse to listen, describing everything that happened. And he says, do not remember your wonders that you performed amongst them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery, right? What's so interesting is that Nehemiah gives us even more like, and then just basically like the story of Exodus, that when they were saying we want to go back, they actually were even in the point of appointing leaders so to take them back. To, to, that's how rebellious they were. But you are a forgiving God. This is like when you have literally said, I'm going to go back to my sins. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. So the opening of book of John, this is how I'm going to end today, points to this proclamation. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We observed his glory. The glory is to the one and the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So that first phrase there Moses, that, that first phrase recalls Moses' request to see God's glory. And the last phrase there that says that he is full of grace and truth is similar to the ending of 34.6, abounding in faithful love and in, in steadfast love and faithfulness. That word faithfulness in Exodus can be translated truth. So this shows this. That the character of God is evident, that is evident in the Old Testament, finds its fullest expression in who? In Jesus. In Jesus. And in Jesus now for you and for me. Because we're still stuck in this already but not yet. 
There's going to be moments when you need assurance. When you need perseverance to move forward. When you need strength to move forward. When you need, like Moses here, he needs, when you need to know, God, you're not going to abandon me where you are sending me. What you need truly is to gaze upon Jesus' face. And that's why scripture now is going to actually begin to say, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near. What you need is to draw near with a true heart, full of assurance and faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, waters of baptism, right? Colossians 2, 2. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have the, all the riches of the complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. And he says that gives them assurance. So what you and I truly need is knowing God, knowing God leads to greater assurance. And knowing Christ, this is what uh, Melanchthon, um, Melanchthon, a church, a ch a church historian um, who was the right hand to Martin Luther uh, in the Reformation, he says, to know Christ is to know all his benefits. To know Christ is to know all his benefits. So if you find yourself plagued with Whatever it is that it is that troubles you, what you need more is to know who, whose you are, to know Christ, and out of knowing him, and I want to say this, all insecurities, all anxieties, all distrust, everything crumbles when you see Christ for who he is. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for your goodness over us. Thank you, Lord, that you have invited us. And that in Jesus, God, where Moses couldn't see you face to face, Jesus was the one who, whom you were truly pleased with. That now in Jesus, we can be able to see you face to face and we can behold your glory. And beholding you, God, we are transformed from one degree of glory to, an, to another. And so, God, we bring you and everything that maybe even troubles us today. And we ask that you may show us who you are in your son. And when we get to know you and see who you are, all of a sudden, God, we are able to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? If you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not graciously give us all things? Everything, everything we need is in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.